That song never gets old, does it? Great song. Take your Bible, find 2 Corinthians chapter 8 with me this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And um, I'm going to preach just to our church this morning and to give you something that is on my heart. And leading up to our missions conference, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, very, very familiar passage of scripture if you've been in church in any amount of time. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let me read a couple of verses and then I'll get started. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. If you are familiar with this passage, you know that what he is talking about is giving. In verse 2, he mentions the grace of God. That's the grace of giving. He mentions in verse 2, or that was verse 1, verse 2, their liberality. That is not liberal politics. That is liberal in giving. He's talking about giving. There are certain subjects or key doctrines that are so germane to Christian growth and church life that some preachers dedicate a Sunday every year to deal with that particular subject. I know there are some pastors that every year they preach a series of messages on the family, the home. I know some preachers that every year preach a stewardship series or a stewardship sermon. I know one pastor that every year he preaches a message on Islam on the Sunday that's closest to 9-11. That's his thing. I know another pastor who believes that it is vital that his church hears a message on soul winning at least once every year. And all of those are worthy subjects, certainly worthy to be repeated, and we may preach on those every year as well. But I don't put that on my preaching schedule, my preaching calendar. I lay out a preaching schedule and, and, and mine is laid out in books and series, like kind of like the Gospel of John and, and the Life of Saul on Wednesday nights and what have you. But, but I try to cover all of these other subjects as the Lord leads. We may preach on the family. We may go a year and not preach on the family. It just depends on how, how the Lord directs. But over the years, there is one subject that I do want to preach on every year. I believe it is essential to church growth, and that is the subject of giving. Subject of giving, especially missions giving. So every Sunday before our mission conference, I try to encourage our church in the grace of giving, particularly giving to missions. That's what the conference will be about this week. It is about Giving, giving. So not a lot of other things, but certainly about, about giving next Sunday. 
Next Sunday, we will take up our faith promise pledges. We are familiar with that. And our hearts this week are going to be stirred toward that goal. And the key passage for giving in the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter number 9. Those two chapters are probably preached more at a mission conference than any other two chapters in all of the Bible. In fact, Brother Logan may very well preach this week from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Brother Farley was here back in May, preached three nights, and preached all three nights from 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. I have preached this passage probably more than any other passage that I have preached in all of the Bible. This morning, I want to take this service, and I want to try to encourage our heart in the grace of giving. Isn't that exciting? Amen. The grace of giving. Now, I've told you that other churches do missions differently. Some churches give a percentage of their total offerings. Some churches don't even support missions. But, but Baptists have used faith promise, this plan, for a long time. We have actually used faith promise in our church for 47 years. The pastor before me was Brother Tom Woodward. He started the church. He was here for 18 years before the Lord took him home. And every year he had a faith promise missions conference. And I remember the year that I came as the pastor, that year our church gave just right around $13,000 to faith promise missions. Then the next year it went to 18,000. Then the next year it went to 23,000. The next year it went to 33,000 and then I forget from there on out and it just kept climbing. But we give a lot more. In some years, our faith promise has gone up. Some years, it has gone down. Two years ago, it went way up. Last year, it went down. I'm praying this year that it goes back up. That's what I'm praying for. Now, faith promise missions, just very quickly, very quickly. Here's what faith promise is. It is a plan to give to missions that has proven to be very effective. It raises a lot of money for missions, and it enables everybody to get involved. Every member determines how the Lord would have you to give to missions every week, and by faith, you make that commitment. Now, there's three parts to faith promise missions. First, there is obviously faith. You are going to pray, and you are going to ask the Lord to put a figure on your heart for missions giving, not your tithe, but for missions giving. It is a voluntary free will offering between you and the Lord. You don't sign the card, nobody's gonna call you in three months and congratulate you or chide you. That's between you and the Lord. And, and some people, they look at their budget and they determine how much that they are able to give. Some look to the Lord and trust the Lord to help them to give beyond their ability. I will tell you that both ways takes faith. It takes faith to give to missions when you have bills and debt and, and a lifestyle to maintain. So whether you are committing to something that you don't have or you're committing to something that will stretch the budget, it takes faith to give to missions, so faith. But then faith promise. It is a commitment is what it is. Let's suppose that 10 people 
Commit to give, I'll just throw run, round numbers out because the math is easy. But let's suppose that 10 people commit to give $100 a month to Faith Promise Missions, that's $1,000. So we take that $1,000 and we support a missionary, let's say for $1,000 a month and he goes to Brazil as a missionary. Well, two of the people that make the commitment do it for about a month and then drop out. Now we have two people, we have eight people giving what 10 people committed. We got a missionary on the field depending on it. Now somebody's got to pick up the lack. Six months down the road, two more people drop out. Now you got six people giving what 10 people committed and they've got to pick up the slack or the missionary on the field is going to have to live on less than what he went to the field on. You see how that works? And so that's the reason why it's a very important thing. It is a faith promise. It is a serious, serious matter. But then there is a third element to it, and it is sacrifice, sacrifice. Faith promise might mean that you and I have to cut back on some luxuries or some hobbies, it might be that your economic situation changes within the year requiring you to make some sacrifices in order to pay your faith promise. Now, now I want to be clear on this. I'm not going to tell you to pay your faith promise and not pay your bills because that would be a bad testimony. I'm not going to tell you that if they are foreclosing on your house, to pay your faith promise and don't pay your mortgage. I'm not gonna tell you that. But I will tell you that there's not a person in this room that could not sacrifice something for missions, right? I could, I could, you could. So I don't think it's gonna come down to whether your mortgage or your faith promise. It might come down to lifestyle choice and faith promise, but it requires a sacrifice. Now, I know what somebody thinks. Well, preacher, chapter and verse. Where is faith promise in the Bible? Well, the phrase faith promise is not in the Bible. By the word, grandpa and grandma is not in the Bible either. Nor is Trinity in the Bible either. But all of those things are in the Bible, all right? So, so the phrase faith promise is not in the Bible. So it is not a system that we have to do. But I will tell you that missions is in the Bible. I will tell you that giving is in the Bible. Faith is in the Bible. Sacrifice is in the Bible. So it doesn't matter how we send the gospel to the world as long as we are doing it. This is the method that we employ in the obedience of the Great Commission. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 is a section on giving. Here's what's happening. A year before, Paul, the apostle, had been in Corinth, and he shared with them a burden about the poor saints in the church at Jerusalem. We'll talk about that in a minute. The church at Jerusalem had come number heavy persecution, and the saints in that congregation were suffering. Well, the church at Corinth got under a burden for their brothers and sisters in another church, and they committed to give an offering to help them. Well, 
some churches in Macedonia, another region, heard about what the church at Corinth was going to do, and they said, we want to get in on that offering too. We want to give as well. So, inspired by what the Corinthians were going to do, the churches of Macedonia gave. And then, the Corinthians didn't follow through. They didn't give their offering. So now Paul is sending Timothy through the churches to collect that offering, and he writes a letter to the church of Corinth, gives it to Timothy, says give it to this church. And in the letter he exhorts them, you made a commitment. You said you're going to give an offering. Other churches have given. Now you need to step up to the plate and you need to follow up on what you have committed. Right. Now, Again, again, it's not setting a method of giving. And in 2 Corinthians 8, it is not giving to a missionary. It is giving to poor saints. But here's what I want you to see this morning. That all of the attitudes that a church must have in order to be a giving church is in this passage. There's no better passage in all the Bible to teach us not about the economics of giving, but the heart of giving. Now, church, listen to me. Listen to me. One of the greatest rewarding things that God can put in your heart as a Christian is the heart of a giver. I'm preaching on giving this morning. We will apply it to missions later on this week. But if you are not, a, I'm talking about just Victory Baptist, I know we have guests with us this morning. I'm preaching to Victory Baptist Church, all right? If you are not a giver, and if you don't have a heart to give, it's not just that you're robbing God, you are robbing yourself of a blessing is what you're doing. You have people in the church always that don't tithe, they don't give, they don't support missions, that everything that they earn, they consume. So they are a closed system is what they are. But I'm praying that you would ask the Lord to give me a heart of giving. Teach me a liberal heart to hold my money with a loose hand trusting that if I give it away, that God will give me back so that I can give some more away. In this passage, in this passage, every attitude that you and I must cultivate in order to be known as a giver, as a giver, is found in this passage. Notice in verse number one that the heart of giving is a spiritual heart. Look at verse one. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, I, I would you to understand of the grace of God, hang on to that, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Giving is not a duty. Giving is a grace. It is a spiritual gift is what it is. Look at verse number six. In so much that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Notice the last phrase of verse seven. 
See that ye abound in this grace also. Verse nine, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at here. Grace is something that God does for you. Duty is something that you do for God. God gave the churches of Macedonia grace, grace. Not just saving grace, but living grace. And he gave them the grace to he gives them the ability to make money, gives them the brain, the smarts to start a business and, and everything that goes along with it. But then he put something in their heart that made them want to give it away. If we have to beg and plead and guilt trip and browbeat people to give, then it's because there's no grace working in our heart. Here's the reason why. It is not natural for you and I to be givers. All men are selfish by nature. So we have to learn to be givers. You don't have to teach your child to be selfish. He already is. We have to teach our children to be kind and giving and compassionate. Share with your sister. They're not, they're not naturally born givers. They're selfish is what they are. That, that's all of us. That's all of us. If, if, if suppose, suppose this morning that I said at the end of the service, we are giving $1,000 to everybody here. Now, we're not. <laughs> Wildly hypothetical situation that is not going to happen. But suppose I said we are giving everybody, everybody $1,000 this morning right after the service. Well, you'd be thinking all more, all more about the whole service, about what you're going to do with that $1,000. Huh? I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm going to pay a bill, or I'm going to buy a toy, or I'm going to put it in savings, or I, I, what am I going to do with this money for me? Right? You're already thinking about it. Huh? <laughs> what would I do with that thousand? Because our first impulse, it's me. My first impulse is what can I do with this money for me? Now, we may squelch that. We may quench that and see somebody else with a need and give that money away. But my first thought, my natural impulse is to think of me first. And I say to you this morning that if we are going to be givers, it will take the grace of God because that is not natural. The grace of God was bestowed in their hearts and it taught them to give, to give. And you know that it is the grace of God when the giving becomes supernatural and it automatically overrides the natural impulse of your heart. When your first thought becomes how can I use that $1,000 to help somebody else? That's supernatural. Now the grace of God is working. I have needs. I got bills. I, I, got, I got just like you. But I wonder how I could use this to help somebody else. When somebody rises up with a need, how, how can I help meet that need? When you say, when you say I am excited about Mission Conference, I can't wait for it to get here. 
Man, when, when they pass the plate, they never do here, but when they pass the plate, I like that, huh? I don't get offended or upset or tight over preaching on giving. I, I hope I can give more. I, 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 that's the grace of God operating in your life. I, I know that when a preacher preaches on giving, there are some church members that just love it. I said, man, they're going to be good. Bring it on, bring it on. Come on, man, Let, let's do a series on giving. I know other church members just zoned you out. Done. The difference is, do you see, the difference is the grace of God. Look what he says in verse one. We do you to widow the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Giving is a grace and giving is to be done in a place. Yes, giving is a church thing. God has an agency through which he wants missions giving done and it is the local New Testament church. So I make no bones about saying that God wants you to be part of a local church where you tithe and you give your missions and you partner with other members and that's used to finance the work of the Lord. The heart of giving is a spiritual heart, a heart full of grace. But then secondly, the heart of giving is a resilient heart. Look at verse two. How that in a great trial of affliction, an abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their Liberality. Now, if you don't have the heart of a giver, then what you have are objections. Preacher, have you ever heard about Biden economics? Have you seen inflation? I've seen inflation. Several years ago, I used to go to Milton Bakery quite often. <laughs> Dozen donut holes and chocolate milk. And if you go about 4.30 in the morning, they're really hot. And that's when I'd always go. And when I started, it was $3.20. $3.20. The last time I went, it was 7.40. So I quit. God helped me. God helped me. I quit. That, that's called inflation. Have you heard about inflation? Have you heard about the recession? If you knew how many bills that I really have, huh? You either have a heart of giving or you have objections. Now this church in Macedonia had legitimate objections. How that in a great trial of affliction, when, when we hurt, all of our attention is turned toward ourselves. But this church had so much grace that even in their own suffering, they were thinking about the suffering of somebody else while they were dealing with their own troubles. A giving heart does not allow burdens and trouble and pressure to be my excuse not to help somebody else. And not only their great trial of affliction, but their deep poverty. I don't have to tell you that we're in tough economic times. I, I can read the news and get depressed all by myself. I know what's going on. 
And I could go on a little rant right here and talk about the socialists that are in Washington and everything, but I don't think it helps anything. Here's what, here's what I would tell you. Here's what I would tell you. That, that I, I know where we are. I know where we are economically. I, I know. I know. But I, I do also know that nobody in this room is in deep poverty. You might be in deep debt, but you're not in deep poverty. You might not have any money and be up to your eyeballs in debt because you're a financial moron, but you have never known deep poverty. Right? Whenever we feel the financial crunch, here's what we do. We got to cut something out. You only got two choices. Bring more in or quit putting more out. Right? That's all the choices you got or a rich uncle dies. That's about all you got. So we start thinking, well, how can I, how can I crunch? And, and here's what I've discovered. Have you discovered in, the, in this new economy the last 10 or 20 years, how many new expenses and bills that you and I have that 20 years ago wasn't even possible to have that bill? Huh? Subscriptions. Oh, my soul in the morning. Huh? So, I, mean, I mean, if you have an iPhone, you may pay for iCloud storage. All right, 99 cents, 99, whatever it is. Uh, but but you, you, we are paying for things now that was not even on the radar 10, 20 years ago, but now it is a necessity. You couldn't, you couldn't survive without it. Netflix and Hulu and YouTube Premium and XM Radio and Spotify and Amazon Prime and on we could go. You could be spending hundreds of dollars every month on all of these subscriptions you cannot possibly live without. But you used to. Right? You, you used to. And we start thinking about, boy, I'm, I'm, boy, I'm telling you what, two more years of this, I'm going to have to cut something back. And here's what we think. I'm going to have to cut out missions. I just want to tell you, missions ought not be the thing we cut out. Right? That ought not be the thing. The Macedonians, by the way, saw their poverty as an opportunity to give. They abounded under the riches of their liberality. Well, that's the only thing you ought to be liberal in is giving. That's why they call Democrats liberals, because they are liberal with your money. They give your money away. That's what they want to do. And all over the country, we hear of churches that are struggling financially. But if you have a giver's heart, a giver's heart, I'm not talking about economics, if you have a giver's heart, no matter the economy, you'll find a way to give something because that's what you want to do. It doesn't matter how bad it gets in our country. It doesn't matter the economy. There will still be people in line at the restaurant to eat out because that's what they want to do. And it doesn't matter how bad it gets, there will still be people that will give to missions because that's what they want to do. Has nothing to do with the economy. Has nothing to do with the balance in my checking account. It has to do what is in your heart. And giving that honors God is not giving out of my abundance, it's giving out of my lack. We don't give to missions because we have some left over. We give even if we have to trust God or go without some comfort in life. The heart of giving is a resilient heart. I'm going to give anyway. But then the heart of giving is a compassionate heart. Look at verse 4. Praying us with much entreaty 
that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. The churches of Macedonia saw their giving as a fellowship. Now, fellowship is not just what we do at five guys on Sunday night after church eating amber. That's not just fellowship. Fellowship is a partnership. Fellowship is joining, it's sharing together. They saw what somebody else was doing and they wanted to be partners in that. We don't want them to get all the blessing. We want to get in on this as well. Now, now what is it that they are concerned about? What, what is it that, 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 that they're giving to? I, I explained this to the guys in church history Thursday night. I'll give you just a synopsis of it. But the church started in Acts 2 there in Jerusalem, and it saw massive growth overnight. 3,000 saved, 5,000 saved, and then they just quit numbering them, and it was just a great multitude. But a lot of the people that got saved at Pentecost were Jews from all over the world that had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And they'd gotten saved. Acts 2 lists 16 different regions of the world that people had come from. Thousands of them got saved and then realized we don't have a church to go back to. We go back to Egypt, we go back to all of these different places. There are no churches. The only church in existence at that time was the church at Jerusalem. There's no fellowship, there's no church, there's no Bible studies to go to, and so a lot of them just stayed. Now you've got thousands of people in Jerusalem, no livelihood, no jobs, no money, and it puts a financial strain on those that are there. And that little band of 120, starts with that little band of 120, they tried to absorb this, but, but it, 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 is, it is too great. In fact, come back to Acts 6. I'll show you, I'll show you, I'll show you just, just very quickly. Here's what they're running into. They, 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 they didn't have the resources to take care of this. So Acts 6, here's the first problem in the church. Acts 6 and verse 1. And in those days when the number of the multitudes of disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So, so here's, you, you've got, you, you've got um, Grecian Jews, you've got Hebrew Jews, you've got, you got this split, and, and now we, we, we have widows and orphans and the poor that become the responsibility of the church, and, and one group is concerned that theirs, their groups is not taken care of and the others not taken care of, and this becomes the dispute. So, so you've got, you got this dynamic that, that's working in this early church. Then you come to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8 is when persecution hits. Now, I won't give you all of the reasons for the persecution, but persecution comes against the church at Jerusalem in the form of a man named Saul. And, and this new church becomes the victims of, of hatred and, and, and persecution and excommunication from the synagogue, and they start, they start to scatter. They start to scatter. If, if half of our men, if half of our working men have to leave and move to another area, that's going to be able to put a crunch on the finances of our church, right? So, so now, now we are scattering. In Acts chapter 11, in Acts chapter 11, there was a prophet that stood up in Antioch and predicted that there was going to be a great famine come throughout all of the world. And the church at Antioch knew that the church at Jerusalem was suffering. So in Acts 11, they sent an offering to the church at Jerusalem. So, so this is what Paul has on his heart. These poor saints in Jerusalem because of the way that the church grew, the persecution, people scattering, the famine that came. And suppose that you are sitting in a church in Macedonia and Paul tells you a story about what the poor saints in Jerusalem are going through. And here's what you think. 
not my problem. I don't have no kinfolk in Jerusalem. All my family's over here. You know, maybe they should have planned a little bit more. I mean, you know, I mean, everybody knows a famine might come. You ought to just do a little, little saving for you, son. I, I have my own problems. Why should that be my concern? I don't know those people. It's not going to bother me any at all if they're poor. It's not my responsibility for every per poor person that I hear about. Besides, people pour them out all the time. You don't know what's true and what's not true. You got to verify that. And if that is our attitude, then we will never be givers. This week, this week, you will hear works in Nepal and Dominican Republic and Uganda and a lot of other places. And here's what we could say. Not my problem. I don't know anybody in Uganda. What if the people in Nepal need some? What's that got to do with me? I got kids to feed. I got bills to pay. It's not my responsibility to preach the gospel to the world. Oh, yes, it is. It is your responsibility. But just beyond accepting a responsibility and doing a duty, the heart is that when I see a burden, I want to help in that burden. I'm not giving, expecting something in return. I'm giving because there is compassion in my heart. I was in a meeting not too long ago and I heard a man, he was actually up singing and he was testifying and he made a statement. And the statement was that whatever you give to God, God will give back to you. And they all said, amen. And he was testifying about how God had given him a car and God had given him a motorcycle and God had given him this and God had given him that. And he was testifying the goodness of God. And the reason why God had given him all these things was because he was giving. He was giving. He was a giver, a tithe, whatever, okay? And then he kind of went from a testimony to kind of like a little bit of rebuke. Why ain't God give you a new car? Why ain't God give you a motorcycle? Maybe because you're not giving. And so it became a little, little rebuke. And then made the statement that whatever you give to God, God will give back to you. You give God money, God give you money back. You give God a car, give somebody a car, God give you a car back. Well, that's horrible theology. You talk about guilt tripping people into giving. Yep. How about this? How about you give and don't expect anything back? How about giving for the sake of giving? How about giving not because I need something, but giving because I've already been given so much? How about giving because I see there's a need? I have the ability to meet that need and God puts it in my heart just to give. I hope you understand. The church is not trying to get your money. That's what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is to get God to open our hearts and learn something about the Christian life that will bless us in more ways than just money. If the only way that God blesses me is more money, that's poor blessings. Oh, God blesses in a whole lot more ways than just money. I had, I had six of the loudest, I mean the loudest 
grandkids at my house last night. They can wake the dead and they are so expensive. Oh, my soul, oh, my soul. But oh, what a blessing they are. God blesses in much more ways than just money. I, I know that you could listen to this for two hours, but I can't preach it for two hours. Let me, let me hurry. The heart of giving. The heart of giving is a worshiping heart. Come, come back to 2 Corinthians 8. Look at verse number 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is a very practical section. It's not doctrinal, it's practical. Romans 8 is going to teach us doctrine. This is practical. But Paul stops right here in the middle of a very pragmatic part of Scripture, and it makes a very profound statement on the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And here's what he says. He says, Christ went from riches to poverty so that you and I can go from poverty to riches. Now, how does that fit in the conversation about giving? Now, now watch this. He says that though he was rich, how was Christ rich? Well, obviously, he owns the cattle on the thousand hills and the, and the hills and the taters under the hills, I, 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 but that's not what he's talking about. It's not talking about how much gold and worldly goods that Christ has. The riches of Christ that it's talking about in that passage is his eternal glory as the second person of the Godhead, eternal Christ, equal with the Father, one with the Spirit. That, that's, that's what he was. Though he was rich, yet he became poor. There was a Catholic, one of the original Catholics, Augustine said that the poverty of Christ's life was a grace that you and I should emulate. So Christ was poor economically, so you and I should seek to be poor economically as well. Good for him. That's not what that verse is saying. It's not saying that Christ took on a vow of poverty. It's not saying that we ought to be poor like Christ was economic. It has nothing to do with how much money that he had. Here's what it's saying. He did not provide for our atonement by economic poverty. All right? That, that's not how he became poor. It has to do with him becoming a man, born of a woman, made in the likeness of sinful flesh, took upon him the form of a servant, emptied himself of the glory of God. And, and that's the riches. So, so he was rich, yet he became poor. It has nothing to do with his money. Now, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Just as his poverty has nothing to do with economic poverty, so his our riches has nothing to do with economic riches. Do you see that? Christ did not die to make you healthy and fill your pockets with gold. His poverty was that he became like us. Our riches is that we become like him. We are made like him. We reflect his glory. We live in his heaven. Now, now that, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But, but, but watch this. Rich people often help poor people. But rarely do they do to the extent that they become poor themselves. Rarely does a rich person give so much away that he becomes poor. But your Lord did. Your Lord did. He, mm, 
he became poor that we might be rich. Now, what's the point? Well, the point's in verse number eight, to prove the sincerity of your love. The heart of giving is a heart that gives out of worship. How are you going to dwell on the gift of Christ and it not open your heart to giving? Worship is not just singing and crying and shouting. Giving is a form of worship. In the New Testament, the believers didn't come to the temple without an offering. Now, now we, don't, we, don't, we don't prescribe that, but they understood that giving was a part of worshiping. We have, listen, listen, I'm trying to help you. We have people sitting in our church that have dried up spiritually. And part of it is because they've dried up giving. Giving comes from a worshipful heart. I'll give you the next thing. Two, two more. I'm hurrying. The heart of giving is a willing heart. Look at verse 12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. Now, now Paul's not putting on a guilt trip. He is not twisting arms. Here's what he's saying. He is saying that that church gave because they were willing to. Nobody coerced them into doing something that they did not want to do. We're not taking a high pressure offering. And I have been in some. Over my 29 years of pastoring in this church, next may be 30 years. In my 29 years, when I look back over, I have done some very dumb things as a pastor. Now, we only have a few people that are in this church that was here when I was training many, many years ago. Thankfully, thankfully, many of y'all came after a lot of my training was done. I'm still learning, but, but I have learned a few things now. And, and so, thankfully, you don't have the joy of having a 24-year-old pastor that has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> I remember one year, one of the dumbest things I did. I remember I heard about a church that did this, and I had a preacher tell me, this is a, man, this, this, this is the greatest thing. One year during our jubilee, we took up a hallelujah offering. Hallelujah offering. Now, it wasn't my idea. Somebody told me this. I'd do. And we, we didn't have any money back then. And... Uh, we had, to have, we had to have a big, big offering. So here's the way a hallelujah offering would work. Is we had, instead of people bringing the money to the front or plates, we had little kids that would go and would get the offering from the people. They'd just go out in the auditorium and, and you would just hold your money up if you had it. And if somebody gave $100, then they'd holler out, hallelujah, and everybody rejoice. Now if they did a $50, that was a glory to God. If it was 20, it was praise the Lord. If it was five, it was amen. If it was a dollar, it was old me or something along those lines. <laughs> Hallelujah offering. And we did that one night right here in this auditorium. And I got to tell you, when I got done, I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. I'd rather go to the bank and take out a loan than to do something that stupid. And, and, and thankfully, we, we have never done that since then. Huh? We, we've, I've been in some high-pressure offerings, 
Well, my wife and I were on the road. We were in a church that was taking up an offering, and they had me and her come up and sing, and we didn't know but like four songs. And we sang, and we had a tear-jerking song. Tear-jerking song, it'd be worth it all when we get home. And we sang that song, and people would cry, and they want to give whatever. So he had us sing it again, because they was taking up an offering while we were singing. And she has, if I'm lying, I'm dying. We sang that one song for a solid hour while they was taking up an offering. When, it was, when they finally let us done, let us go, I put a little money in the plate and we left. We left, afraid they're going to ask us to sing again. <laughs> I have been in some high pressure offerings. But it all depends what's in your heart. So it all depends on what's in your heart. I give you the last thing. I'm done with this. The heart of giving is a trusting heart. Look at verse 13. For I would not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. Now, some commentators take that passage, they use that as a justification for communism. Could Paul be saying that he wants every Christian to be on the same economic status as everybody else? And I don't believe that's what Paul was saying. I don't believe that Paul is saying that everybody needs the same job, the same model car, and live in the same size house and have the same amount of money in their bank account. It is not a wealth distribution plan. That's not what he's talking about. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that when you have an abundance, then you help supply those who are in want. Because there may come a day when you are the one in want and somebody else is going to supply you. Sometimes you're on the giving end and sometimes you're on the receiving end. The equality is not that everybody has the same amount. The equality is not that everybody's expected to give the same amount. The equality is that sometimes it's your turn to give and sometimes it is your turn to get. Now in verse 15, he's going to give you an illustration of it. Look at verse 15, I'm done. As it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over. He that had gathered little had no luck. Look, look, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about man in the wilderness. When, when manna fell every day in that wilderness, they were all were to go out and they were to gather one omer of manna. One omer. But when you go out into the field and you gather that manna in that basket, you're kind of guessing as to how much is the right amount. So sometimes you would go back to the house after you've gathered manna that morning to discover that you have actually gathered a little bit more than you needed. But somebody else didn't gather quite enough. Well, you didn't hoard it. You shared it with your neighbor that didn't get quite enough. And who knows, tomorrow it might be he gets more than he needs and you lack just a little bit. So he shares with you. That, that's the illustration. Sometimes you have abundance and you give. Sometimes somebody has to help you. Here's the principle. You gather what you have and you give the rest away and you trust God to provide you with more. 
God didn't want his people to be hoarders. Trust God to meet your needs. Now, I'm not against saving. I'm not against retirement. I'm not against, I'm not against any of that. But the principle is, do you have the grace to trust God to meet your needs, to become dependent on him? I will give. I will sacrifice. And I will trust God to take care of me. These are the attitudes that cultivates a heart of giving. It's a spiritual heart. It's a heart that's full of grace. It's a resilient heart because you are going to have excuses and objections. It's steadfast. But it's a compassionate heart. Your problem is my problem. The need of the world is my responsibility. It is a worshiping heart. How can I sing about what he has given me when I don't want to give as well? It's a willing heart. Ain't nobody twisting my arm. And it is a trusting heart. Now this week, this week, we are asking the Lord to touch our hearts in the matter of giving and particularly to missions. Missions is not the only thing that we give to. We give in a lot of different ways, but this is the application this week. And you can give to missions grudgingly. You can give to missions dutifully. But I'm just telling you, the greater joy is when you give from your heart. It's not about money. It is about the heart. That's why it says in verse number seven, he says, abound in this grace also. The money will be there. We believe that. I, I, I don't know how much I can tell you right now because I need to wait till next Sunday. Our, our church is not in financial straits right now. Our church is doing great financially. Probably by this time next week, we're going to be doing a whole lot better. And that's all that I'll say. But our church is, our church is doing great. It's not, if I, if I could just say this one thing, it's not about the money. The point, the point, the point of it all is to tell you there is a great need of getting the gospel to the world. And I believe that God has given us the resources to be able to do that. And if we have a spiritual heart, if we have a compassionate heart, a trusting heart, with all of these things, giving will flow supernaturally. From our, isn't that what you want tonight? Isn't that what you want? It might be that you give sparingly, a little bit, it's whatever. But would you pray, Lord, open my heart. Touch my heart this week. It may not put more money in my pocket. It may not give me more ability to give. That's up to the Lord. But in my heart, in my heart, would you let me be a giver? Let's bow our heads this morning, shall we? Here's my last question. I, I know a message just to the church, targeted subject. I, I understand that this morning. If you're here this morning and you have spiritual needs, you ought to come to an altar, talk to the Lord about that. If you're here this morning, you've never been saved. The altar is always open. We wish you'd come and let's take a Bible, show you how to be saved. But, but this is the message this morning leading up to the mission conference. Do you want to have the heart of a giver? The heart of a giver. 